Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day Giants, Ram Castillo here. It's a pleasure to have your company once again. This is episode number 43. Our guest is the founder of Noshu. N-O-S-H-U, Australia's first food brand to be truly sugar-free. Time Out Sydney included her as one of the top 40 under 40. What's interesting is that she started her degree in food science, then did a pivot to design visual communications. She completed that, worked in the industry for a number of years, then moved to France for a while and returned back to Australia to create the business. Her family history of diabetes and her struggle to find delicious sugar-free foods became the catalyst to create her hero product, a healthy donut. The International Anti-Additive Awards recently recognized her company, Noshu, as one of the Asia-Pacific winners for the 2016 Best of the Year Award. The judging panel included Michelin star chefs, nutritionists, dietitians, professors, and food editors. Criteria involved presentation, taste, production, and cooking process. Some of the topics we spoke about on this episode include advice when struggling to decide to stop pursuing something or to keep going, what surprised her most when launching a food product, where to begin when in the research and development phase of making a food product, cautions to be aware of before starting any business, and plenty more. A few quick reminders if you are a new listener to the show. My focus is to help emerging designers and creatives be employed and to help established designers and creatives navigate their way to their next level, whatever that looks like to them. It could be getting a mentor, starting a business, releasing a product or getting a promotion. All of this lives on giantthinkers.com. And besides this podcast, there are blog posts, books, creative live courses, and YouTube videos that I've created as resources for you to help you on your way. If you haven't already, I invite you to sign up to the mailing list where you'll get occasional emails from me on new episodes, articles I've written, and upcoming events. Once again, that's giantthinkers.com. If email isn't your thing, add me on Instagram or Snapchat. My handle is the giant thinker. It's the fastest way to reach me and see my day-to-day activities. Alrighty, let's get straight into it. I present to you the fun-loving, hardworking, and determined Rachel Bajada. Rachel Bajada, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. Thank I've been you. following your impressive journey, I'd say, for about two years in particular through LinkedIn and various press articles. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy journey so far. Very short journey. I've actually been in business about three, so there you go. It has been an absolute whirlwind, but yeah, pretty good so far. Thank you. Well, thanks for uh, having me in your headquarters. Um, and the the interest that I have actually stems from what you've built and um, are continuing to build. No shoe, Australia's first 
true sugar-free food brand. Um, so thank you for having me over. First you know, off, no shoe means no sugar, right? There you go. Was that <laughs> just clarifying that? Not no shoes. <laughs> <laughs> good. Or you can say no shoe. It's a really it's good a play Japanese, on words with it? nosh, right? Yeah. No shoe, no sugar. Issue. Is there a ca- cultural influence there? There's no Japanese no, just association the... at all. Actually, just that I did find out since then that there's a little village in Japan called Noshu. Ah, or Noshu. There you go. And it's famous for making knives and Japanese swords. So, fun fact, it's definitely <laughs> catchy. It, it's definitely catchy. And um, uh, let's kickstart the interview with an icebreaker question. I sure. give everyone an icebreaker question. Yours is. Um, Purely hypothetical, God forbid uh, this would ever happen in real life. But if you had to save one of the following and the one you don't choose gets banished forever, what would you pick? Donuts or cheese? Hang on, I'd choose to live on forever, do you mean? No, just to to save forever and one would be banished and you'd never be able to eat it ever again. I'd definitely save cheese. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Controversial. (laughs) Tell me about your love for cheese. (laughs) It all happened when I moved to Paris. Wow. How can you resist the smell of stinky cheese? <laughs> there you go. No, I loved it. I used to go to the markets. You've been an expert, aren't you? Well, I became a bit of an expert mm. while I was living there and I was just fascinated. There's over 400 varieties of cheese and most of them are made with unpasteurized milk and the character and the flavor that they develop and they're all made differently and they represent different villages and history and tradition and, of course, they taste incredible. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I have... Um, <laughs> acquired a taste for cheese um i don't know if that's getting older type of thing um but <laughs> i i'm definitely um on that same journey trying out different ones um and educating myself um so where would you say your expertise lies in life or work or in general in general yeah I'd say. Look, yeah um i'd say i'm pretty good at picking trends that's mm. one of my skills and i suppose now i think i'm a pretty good product designer Product is in food product. Yeah. Yes. And how how did that come about? Do you think what you know when you think back to your childhood, what um, influences did you have back then? Like, how did you grow up um, with that influence? Um, In terms of picking trends, I have no idea um, where that came from. But my upbringing was pretty wholesome. I grew up. Um, in a little country town called Bacchus Marsh in Victoria. Um, it's not so much a little country town, town anymore. It's a bit more developed. But, um, yeah, so my mum my, my and my, my dad were really all about basics and grew a lot of our veggies in an organic veggie patch, which was, you know, organic didn't even exist back then. It was just how it was, right? You didn't use pesticides. Had our own chickens and our own eggs and that kind of thing and very basic, like health, wholesome food. Mum made pretty much everything that we ate. Hardly anything was processed or purchased so I, I grew up with that and um I think a lot of it probably stems from that my mum used to make her own bread for us so I, I kind of learned you know a little bit about baking when I was from a really young age interesting and yeah. um your parents where are they from um my dad's born in Malta um but lived in Australia most of his life and my mum's born in Australia but her family's Maltese as well fantastic yeah now what would you say would be your fondest childhood smell then? That's interesting. My grandmother on my dad's side used to visit, because they obviously live in Malta, they used to visit maybe every five or ten years. They'd come over, I guess it's a long-haul flight. 
Um, and she used to have this little pot of like kind of kind of like a cream that was a perfume, and it was this honeysuckle. It was a, it smelled like honeysuckle. It was beautiful. And I think it was one of the it was one of the first fragrances I remember, and I have really fond memories of that now. I just I just I have great obviously great associations with that. But yeah, it was like a honeysuckle cream. Mm. Well, well, I think so, about yeah. Well, I mean, when I think about trends and things that are popular um, when it comes to food, I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind besides <laughs> the taste is smell, and I think it just can bring you to a whole other place. And when we think about designing experiences. Something that's certainly under mm. undervalued in some or un, over overlooked, I would say, when you when you come to um, you know how do you stand out in the marketplace when it comes to um, fresh food and um, yeah, I think um, of course in, in with the donuts it's a bit different um, <laughs> when when it's packaged, but I think I still think that there are influences there. I mean, the donut itself is very much a. Uh, Everyone can. I don't, I don't know anyone that doesn't. Were you expecting like me to donut? say my fondest smell was a, a, a deep, a deep fried <laughs> deep cinnamon fried. donut from Wendy's? <laughs> um, no. I, I, um, I, I'm trying to find the connection actually of, of where the, the Frenchness comes from. But, um, but that's uh, probably just something that uh, has come over time and, um, you know, the stories we've been exposed to and the beautiful language and, and the movies that we see. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, before we do, let's talk on your um, diverse education background. Um, Bachelor of Science, uh, Food Science. At I must the... point out, I didn't actually finish that degree. Okay. That's part, but of, you the, started that's it? part of the story. Okay. Yeah, I started it. Uh, when I finished school, I'd, all I wanted to be was a food scientist. Wow. Or a microbiologist. I was like, oh, one of the, both of those fascinated me. So I started my, I started this science degree, but I didn't finish it. How long did you um, study at I that course? I think I only went through first year, actually, mm. um, and then I just hated it. It was first year science. Is, it's the same for everything. It's just mass physics, chemistry, mass physics, chemistry, a bit of biology, really hardcore and very mathematically based, which I'm so not. So <laughs> I really struggled with maths and physics, and I, I really felt like I was working against what I'm naturally good at. So as much as I love the life sciences part of it and was really good at that, I really struggled with the mathematics, the dry mathematics and the physics. So that's why I dropped out because I thought I feel like I'm working against my natural talents. I'm a very creative person, very left brain as well. I love the life science and the applied science side of it, but all this physics and maths and chemistry is just killing me and I'm not good at it and I'm struggling and I'm not enjoying it. So I need to move into something that I'm naturally better at. And when, what was that next thing for so you? That's why I got into design. Aha, there you go. <laughs> yes. You completed this one. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it's a bad thing. I can't I'm, say I loved that degree either, but I thought I've started it, I'm finishing it. <laughs> yep, yep. It's a, and it's one that um, is a, a platform that a lot of people, especially in, uh, in Sydney, have gone through. It's the um, Bachelor of Design vis Visual Communications course at the University of Technology. Mm -hmm. Viscom, um, yeah. good old Viscom. Um, are there any challenges and learnings that stood out during this part of your life? Uh, I'd say probably it's close to what I just said earlier. I think one of the biggest learnings was to really just believe in what you're strong at, get to know what you're good at, 
and do what you're good at. If, if you're finding that you're working against what you're naturally good at and what your natural talents are, then it's okay to change that. And over time, it will figure itself out. So even if you look at my story, okay, I was like, oh, a bit, I was a bit bummed when I thought, okay, the science degree didn't work out for me. I felt a little bit despondent that I was so crap at mathematics, <laughs> you know, and then you I and me both. pursued something completely different, you know, the complete opposite, doing a backflip, doing um, a design creative degree. But now look at my career, I've actually come full circle and I've found something that is the perfect balance of both careers. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think that it's actually way more common than people like to admit. And I say this because um, I've had many close friends, one in particular, mm-hmm. almost finished her psychology degree, right? We're talking three and a half years. And then she was like, what am I doing? She didn't finish it. She <laughs> went and she did design oh, as well. Really? Yeah, she went. <laughs> so she did four years of that. Um, wow. That's one example. But I think what I want to know um, with your decision-making, what was it that kind of made you go, or I'm going to stop this. I know that it might feel like I've lost investing my energy and, and time and money and effort, whatever, in food science, making that pivot. How did you cross that line? Because I still think people don't, don't know how to even do that. Not all people, but some. I can't really give you one defining moment. I think it just got to the point where I just felt like, I'm really struggling here. I, I did basic mathematics at school. I topped my grades in art and in biology, you know. And then when it and when it got to going to university, like they literally flew through my my entire last year of advanced mathematics in one lecture. Mm. And there was just no way I was going to be able to follow that. So the amount of work and headaches involved in trying to keep up, it was just just it didn't feel natural, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought I, I didn't feel right. I was really working against the grain. And it shouldn't, I really don't think it should be that hard, that difficult, that and you should enjoy it to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all going to be fun, but I think if you really feel this really isn't right, um, I'm not really following what I'm really good at, then you don't have to keep doing that. You know, it takes some people a long time to figure out what they're good at and some people, some people know sooner than others, but you can figure that out and if it doesn't feel right, you don't have to keep going. I definitely think you uh, hit the nail on the head with the combination of natural ability meets... Yeah some natural talent um, and then speaking to your self-awareness of going, all right, let's keep it real here. Yes. Why don't I, why don't I enjoy it? Um, very cool. So who left the biggest impact on you in these first few years, um, especially after you graduated and then you entering the workforce? Was there a person um, in your life that, that guided you? Well, probably biggest influence was one of my design lecturers, Natasha. And um, so she was a casual, used to come in because she was actually working in the industry. I found it, I found in my degree, there were a lot of people that had been in academia their whole lives, but were kind of out, out of touch with, with the industry. You couldn't really ask them what it's like to work in a design agency and they can tell you, well, how much should I charge for this job? They're just really out of touch. But they'd bring in casuals that were, you know, working in agencies and it was so exciting to talk to them because you really got a touch of the real world. So um, I kept in touch with her and she became one of my friends and I did an internship with her in the company she worked at and she was a bit of a mentor for me through the first few years out of uni. Mm. I think that's very important uh, what you just um having a mentor having a mentor yeah. but having someone that is a practitioner too yeah not just yeah um a coach yeah um 
and something that I very much emphasize in my uh, in my book as well, differentiating those things because ultimately, especially in design, the skill itself is moving at such a fast pace, the demand and the knowledge required that even five to ten years of not being a practitioner that's right kind of yeah puts you on the back foot that's right what surprised you most about launching a food product in particular and i ask this with great respect and admiration uh going into the food category for one and also being an australian made and owned company i can only imagine the mountains of approvals required around regulations policies certifications and all this I don't even know where to start. <laughs> you really, I hadn't. If I had known what I was getting myself into, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work. I mean, coming, not, never having done that before, and not having a team around me that had, had been through that experience before, it was really hard. So you're learning everything as you go, and you make big mistakes, and you, you know, you hope that you can just keep going. And but really, it was. It does take a long time. It's a t- it took a lot of time, a lot of work. A lot of R and D, a lot of process. Um, you know, you make mistakes. You've got to try and find a way to fix it. Not have, not knowing the supply chain. You know, not having a supply chain in place. Um, the expense is time and expense is probably three times what you anticipate. Um, and also, when you're doing something really different, you know, you're carving out a path. You're a pioneer, and you know, no one's ever made bakery products without gluten and sugar. I mean. Not that I know of in the way that we have, you know, extremely selective about the ingredients that we use. Um, baking's a science, you know, there's a lot of chemistry to it. You don't know how ingredients are going to interact. So there's no manual. There is no manual that tells you how to make that happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very challenging. It always, it has been, probably always will be for what we do. But like this is a good point of difference. <laughs> you mentioned just then um, a lot of hard work and time. How many hours would you say you'd be working week to week in the first year? At least a hundred. Far out. Yeah, but remember, this is good. This is no. This is you're keeping it real because I think people um, forget <laughs> that you have to wear many hats. Oh, it's a maniac. <laughs> Absolute maniac. You've got to learn many hats and a lot of things you've never done before. Like what? I didn't, I didn't know how to use counting software. You know, you will learn counting software and how to reconcile your books and, you know, so much basic business knowledge that I didn't have. I do now, but I didn't at the beginning. Um, you know, the food standards code, I read that legal document from start to finish, you know, to get try and try and make sense of it myself, you know, because you can't afford to hire a legal team to interpret it for you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think um, two things there that I can very much vouch for, the, um, the accounting side of things and any legal, anything to do with legalities, yeah. um, I think y- you've got to throw yourself in the deep end as much as you can and then, of course, get the expertise involved to help you out because you, you just can't eventually I, sustain it on your own. I agree and I think this is one of the biggest problems with um being an entrepreneur in Australia. Mm. So what tends to happen is you have startups, you have really young, talented people with great ideas that want to commercialise them. Um, But when you're a startup, you don't have $10,000 to hire a lawyer to put all your contracts together really well, make sure you don't get screwed over, be, you know, and and just to protect you. So you, you don't have the money for that. So a lot of entrepreneurs end up in really tricky legal situations, especially with business partners that are hard to get out of because they don't have those resources from the beginning. And I really think this is where the government needs to step in and provide some sort of platform to give 
legal advice to entrepreneurs and young people that really need it. It's mm. a big problem. How, how did you get around it? Or was I have it ran that- into loads of problems with it, mm. you know, with not having the right contracts and the right advice from day one and it cost me so much money <laughs> trying to reverse poor decisions that were made when I, you know, didn't have the right advice from day one. So, I'm First things coming to my mind was that the life stage you were in when starting this, um, early 30s, would certainly make a difference in the funding side of things, would you highly advise having a decent amount of savings um, to buffer those unexpected costs and stuff? Well, it's a fine line, right? Because Mm. if you try and wait to have a really good buffer of savings, sometimes you never really get there. Um, So you've got to, you definitely need to have some money to back you. And I, I had saved some money, but it disappeared probably in half the amount of time that I thought it was. And I was quite careful as well. But the money just goes. Um, so, yes, you do need that. Um, obviously, bringing on partners that are, are prepared to put money in can can really help. But like I said, you have to be extremely careful who those partners are mm. because that can make or break your business. If you bring the wrong people into your business from day one, it's really, it can be really hard to, to get out of that. Mm. And I think the most um, important thing to point out here is that there is a transition. It's not like you know, you quit and then everything just is smooth sailing after that. You very much have to think about um, how it's going to transition into turning into a full-time thing or where you're going to spend most of your time. Um, and and I tell people all the time, it, it, you know, that as the saying goes, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. 100%. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, okay, so... Um, what questions drove your research and development um, and the processes and thinking behind it um, for the No Shoe Donut in particular? Did you already know you could make such a product with no sugar, no gluten, grain, dairy, nuts, <laughs> and still taste great? Um, what do you, where, where do you begin well, in the kitchen? I think, it's, I think it's important to note that my vision was and still is to create a sugar-free food business. So with a big suite, a, a large range of products, not just a donut. Mm. That was our launch hero product. Um, so that was, you know, that was the goal. We want to create a, a company that creates really good tasting food without sugar and without chemicals. So the donut was our first product because that was, you know, the most buzzworthy and exciting and you know, really out there to do a sugar-free donut, right? <laughs> so, so in terms of what questions drove um, the R and D process, it w- it all came from a place of nutrition, truth in nutrition. So, the reason I got into this is because I'd realised through my own journey and my own, my own family's struggle with things like type two diabetes that we've all been taught the wrong things since the nineteen eighties food pyramid. We've fed that ridiculous diet of uh, heaps of carbs and loads of processed carbohydrate and and um and hardly any fat you know and actually I've learned that that should pretty much be tipped on its head not to be scared of fat as long as you're eating healthy fats and you actually don't need a lot of carbohydrate in your diet um so I've had to relearn and rethink about nutrition through this process and so it all always starts with what is good for us to eat you know obviously anti-additives as much as possible and completely removing sugar where we can. We don't use sugar at all, but um, removing sugar, making sure everything's got, you know, adequate levels of fiber 
Um, so it starts with a brief really starts with what we believe is um, is a better product from a nutritional perspective. Mm. Yeah. That's that's really good. And and I think um when as you were talking, you you immediately went to the intention, which when I advise um uh certain brands and businesses as well, when he and, and something that I've learned over time and applied to to my brand is is what is the intention? Yeah. Because the intention can be met by um many different ways, but for you to define that as um, you know, um healthier nutritious real you know food no additives or anything like that that's it it'll start with your philosophy and you've mm. got to stay true to that and and sometimes you make really big compromises in in business because of your philosophy so for example the products we make we use we decided to use coconut oil as our source of fat we believe we still 100 percent believe that that is a healthy fat um, it's not going to, you know, block up your arteries because it's, te- you know, it's, sat- it's classified as saturated fats, medium chain triglycerides. It's actually a non-glucose form of instant energy. It has a completely different pathway in your body. It's, it's, a, it's a great source of fat in our belief. So, however, because we use coconut oil, we can't put our products through the school system. Mm, is that right? So primary schools, canteens, for example, they work on the traffic light system. They are anti-saturated fat and they classify coconut oil as saturated fat. So our product cannot be sold in a school canteen, even though it is a great fun product for kids to take to school. It hasn't got sugar. It's great for anyone that's got allergies. It's got nearly no allergens in it. Mm. Yeah. So these are the compromises you make. And sure, there's probably a huge revenue stream in that, but we won't be tapping into that market because we're not going to replace it with canola oil. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and um, and you mentioned compromise as well. I, th- I think those ingredients that you choose are also um, not cheap. No, in they're comparison. not. Unfortunately, they're not. But there goes you know you sticking true to your yeah. intention and going well. Yes, but we're positioning our brand in a market that where people understand that their health is their wealth, and that you know by paying for healthier food. You're effectively, hopefully, not paying for 10x the cost of medicine later down the track. That's right. That's right. And obviously, I, I wish our, our products were as cheap as conventional products loaded with sugar and wheat flour. I wish they were. I wish everyone could afford to buy them every day. But unfortunately, they're not. Mm. And that's the way it is. And I'm, I'm still, it blows my mind at how much people will pay for health food. And I think that's a, I think that's a great thing because you can see that the shift is moving in that direction and people are prepared to pay more for healthier food. Mm. And they're getting their priorities right. Um, you know, we're always trying to reduce our costs and to get pro- the product cheaper to the consumer. But at the end of the day, like our sugar substitutes are 10 times the price of, of cane sugar. Mm. You know, it is what it is. I also think um, when people think of donuts, you know, they, as you said, you think of um, your, your Krispy Kremes and then the, the, the local Donut King or whatever. But the immediate thinking is, in my mind, it's like, where's the fun in that at first, right? You're like, oh, where's the fun in that? Donuts are meant to, like, you know, it's not traditionally, you know, it's meant to be like that. But then you go, but hold on a minute, there's an intrigue behind it. And not until you try these donuts, and I'm speaking for, firsthand, <laughs> do you realize, it's, you know, that, that it is, you have to try it before you can. To believe it. Truly believe it, <laughs> right? right. Um, and this kind of alludes to, to um my next question, which is that when I did try it for the first time, no shoe donut, uh, the the caramel spice I tried, the first five seconds I thought, holy moly, this is 
This is yum. Um, it's good. It's, it's good. It's got the right balance um, uh, to my taste buds. Um, you know, it was perceiving it as sweet, but then I thought, and it's pretty moist too. Like I thought for some reason it'd be dry. Um, well, everyone has pretty low expectations of gluten-free food. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, traditionally they've been pretty dry. It's like eating cardboard or butcher's paper. And um, we work really hard to make sure our products aren't like that. What, what now, totally up to you how much you disclose here, but what makes your product so moist and delicious? Uh, how much can I tell you? <laughs> um Look, it's a combination of packaging technology and a combination of ingredients. Mm, so interesting. It's probably not really one thing. It's a it's a few it's a few selective ingredients that kind of work in combination. Yeah. Well, I have read um, articles that are open to the public at the moment. They um, include a puree, which is interesting as well. With with yeah, we've what got I read. we've got pumpkin puree in ours. Yeah, cool. And that definitely stops the product drying out mm. without adding many calories. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll leave the listeners to some intrigue. <laughs> By the way, is it available in America? Because a lot of these listeners are, are from America. You know, America. we get emails every day from Americans asking if they can find our product there. And if anyone's listening out there and they run a distribution import company in the US who would like to import amazing frozen, <laughs> frozen Australian health food products, get in touch with us because, no, we don't currently have distribution in the US as much as we'd love to. Right. Yeah. yeah, I like I'm I'm telling you, lots of <laughs> there are so many listeners from America. Yeah, it is I actually feel sad that we we were letting so many people down. They find our products online or on social media and then they realize that there's no stockers in the US wow. yet. So hopefully that will happen in the next 24 months. Okay, stay tuned for yeah, that. Yeah. Or um you can contact me and I'll <laughs> sh- ship them to you. Um, what advice would you give to individuals who are starting a small business and building a brand? from the ground up well there's two questions in there Mm. um first one is around business tips and second one's around building brand Mm. so i'll go to the brand part first (laughs) um building a brand is not just about having a nice looking logo or nice packaging um brand is an emotional thing people build an emotional connection with a brand you have to remember that so important and it really is important to never never Try and go cheap on your branding. You know, is the most important investment you'll make. It really, really is. That product, you have a third of a second, someone attention, you know, on the shelf. If they don't see something that appeals to them, they're not probably not going to take the time to pick it up. Is so important. And I really believe that people buy the why, not the what. What is your story? You know, why? What is the reason for being? What is the problem you're solving in the world? How can you make enrich my life? How can you make my life better or healthier or tastier or whatever it is? Um, what's the story behind this product? Why should I believe in it? People buy the why, not the what. Um, that is a huge thing to remember and it is that really emotional connection with a brand. So focus on that. And then in terms of business advice, I really think it's prudent to get your financials right from day one. I did not come from a business background and I wasn't really particularly interested in in economics or business or finance or accounting, but I actually really nerd out on it now, you know. <laughs> now I actually really enjoy it. I love learning about business and, I, and I, it's taught me so much about how the economy works and how so much about finance and accounting and taxation and you know get your business plan your business model right get your numbers right from the beginning because if if you get that wrong then you're starting on a really poor foundation um and like i said before be very selective about who you bring into your world 
really selective and it's okay to turn down business partners or turn down investors if you you know if you unless you're a hundred percent sure there isn't somebody better out there or somebody with a better fit are you going to be able to live with this person for the next 10 years really they're going to have a huge part in your life is it going to work it's okay to say no and turn those people down Mm. be very very selective that's probably another good tip love that (laughs) great advice yeah um and on the branding thing um I'll put some photos up of of the the product itself, but um, on on the packaging you've got I'm a guilt free donor, and you kind of speak to what they're thinking before they buy, right? That's it. We really, yeah. I it was actually a decision that I made. I wanted to I wanted to personify our products. I wanted them to speak like a person. And if a product could speak, what would it say? Mm. So I thought, well, let's just. We're actually the reason we we went with the I'm a guilt free donor is because legally we're not allowed to call anything healthy. You can't call your product healthy, which is fair enough because anyone could just say his product's healthy. So you can't call it healthy. So how else do you portray that? Like you can have your cake and eat it too, you know, that whole thing. So well, that's why we went with the I'm A, you know, and, and really did the personification. I think it's fun and it's playful. It's a little bit irreverent. It's a bit different and you build a bit more of a per- personal and emotional connection with brand that's fun, you know. Mm. And it's clear, uncluttered, crisp design typography which is which is great by the way um i was very lucky that my partner is an incredible designer Mm. i did hire an agency to do my branding and that didn't work out wasn't happy with work and then he ended up taking over and um he's a fantastic typographer so i was lucky i got a great result out of out of his work there you go things can be turned around um I'm very much an advocate for as much travel as possible. <laughs> um, nothing really beats the phenomenon of experiencing a different culture firsthand. Um, for you, you spent almost three years in France, which no doubt would have been an immersive experience from the food, language, landscape, <laughs> architecture. Um, what role do you think it played in assisting the creation of your hero product, the No Shoe Donut in particular? Um it's really hard to say. Um, I wouldn't say it was as a direct consequence, but as part of my time over there, I was very, I got quite heavily involved in the food scene. Like I was telling you earlier, we, um, sorry, I started a food blog because there were no other Australians blogging about French food and that opened out an entirely new world to me and I ended up getting a job working for a company called Cook, Q-O-O-Q, and they'd created this hardware and software which was basically an, a food encyclopedia in your kitchen. So you could go, okay, I've got rice and lemon and a tin of tuna in my fridge, what am I going to make for dinner? And it would like suggest recipes for you or um, it literally show you video by video, step by step how to make anything. It was a really fantastic resource. So I was working for this company and um, we used to have a lot of American food magazines in the office. So I was really always up to date on food trends happening in the US. And I was also quite lucky to go travel to New York quite a few times for some projects I worked on between Paris and New York. So I had, you know, I really saw what was happening around the rest of the world in terms of the way food trends were heading. And I really saw donuts trending. Donuts were trending like crazy in New York City, right? right? It was after the cupcakes. So the the phase after the cupcakes was donuts. And this was going back probably four years ago now. And and so by the time I eventually moved back to Australia and said, right, that's it. I'm setting up this business. I'm I'm 100% determined to create a sugar-free brand. What product am I going to do first? I thought, well, if donuts are trending in the US now, they'll definitely be trending in Australia in the next few years because we're always following them pretty much by rule of thumb. And that's exactly what happened. So that's kind of how the donut came about. 
Right. So it spoke to the trend, not so much the ingredients. <laughs> No, oh French gosh! Cooking. Seriously, I think the French actually probably cringe when they say <laughs> when they right. say our products. They're so no, and I think that's fantastic embedded in their traditions. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and, um, no, they just think that's outrageous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it had nothing to do with that. They it is completely foreign for them. I don't. Yeah, know, it, it I don't even up, know if we'd have a market in France to be honest. It opened up your uh, your thinking. Yeah. to to a larger. That's what travel does. And you, you identify trends. So winding down now, a question I ask uh, most of my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Rachel Bajada, uh, perhaps the Rachel finishing high school, what would you tell her? It's a very deep question. You really have to think about this one. <laughs> but there's probably two things that stand out to me. First one is stop killing yourself on bran muffins and skim lattes. <laughs> And get off the the low-fat, high-carb diet and turned on its head. If I'd known that years ago, that would have been good for me. Uh, but secondly, I think I probably wouldn't, if I, had, if I had my chance again or if I could go back in time and give myself some advice, I would tell myself to not kill myself over trying to get perfect grades at uni. I really, really worked hard to get the best grades in my degree. You know, I really beat myself up if I didn't get a high distinction or at least a credit, you know. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I was just, I just really beat myself up if I didn't. You know, just passing for me was not enough. I really thought. What, why do you think? I you... don't know. I mean, I'm partly overachiever and perfectionist, I suppose, but I really gave myself grief about that and I killed myself over it. I worked such long hours. I didn't sleep enough. Um, it was a stressful time and it didn't actually need to be. I probably could have enjoyed it more if I just allowed myself to go with the flow and make sure I was passing, you know. But And everyone told me that. You know, I said, you don't need to worry about it. No one's ever going to look at your grades after this. And you know what? They were right. No one looks at your grades. No one cares when you go to get a job. What if you've got a high distinction or a credit? They really don't. In fact, I've only ever had one job where they've asked to see my certificate from my degree. So if I could do it again, I'd say I think it's, it's admirable to really want to work hard and get great grades, but it is okay to just pass and, and, and do your best. Mm. But don't kill yourself over it because there's so much after university. There's so much life after it and it really won't make a difference in the scheme of things. Hear, hear. What do don't, you think of that? Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. That's right. It's not small though when you're in it, right? Yeah, When you're totally. at uni, it's, it's your whole world, you know? You've got the benefit of yeah. hindsight right now. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So what's next for you uh, and everything you're involved in for this year, Rachel, and beyond? I, I say this because I have seen you've, you've had some incredible uh, wins, expansions. I looked at your um, availabilities now around town. Got some solid Woolies Kicking stores. Kicking some goals, yeah. Coles, IGA. There. Was it Qantas now We have well? been. We've been supplying Qantas for the last six months. What? Which is great. It's so amazing. they adopted our product on their special meals. So if you order gluten free or diabetic friendly or whatever, one of those products. So we've been supplying them, which That's has big. been it's That's been big. fantastic. And um, yeah, so next is look, uh, focus is more product development. So we're launching um, launching the Noshu muffin range at the end of this this month, and they are ninety nine percent sugar free, completely gluten free, and they actually taste like a normal muffin. And do you have to That's say that's taken almost. 20 months of product development to perfect wow. that line. So I'm pretty excited about that. Muffins. And then export. So we want to start tapping into other markets. That's going to be on our agenda for the next Okay, so two months. questions. You, you, you just mentioned 99%. Is that 1%? Naturally occurring. <laughs> Naturally occurring. Yeah. Okay. Does that just use thought, a lot of people, do you think? Just thought we'd... Yeah. I think for me, I understand... <laughs> 
that there is naturally occurring yeah. sugar in food. In food. Yeah, that's right. And so I interpret it as such, but of course then you'll you'll have certain people not doing, you know, not doing their um due diligence in looking at the product itself and they just go, Oh, but here's the line. No, yeah, look, no sugar, it, labeling like, is very confusing. Yeah. Um, 99% sugar-free doesn't mean we add 1% sugar. Mm. <laughs> it just means, yeah, of course, there's residual sugar right. in, in the ingredients. Most most food, most foods have some sort of naturally occurring sugars in them. So that's what that means. But no added sugar, which we label our donuts, um, it means just that. We don't add any sugars. And, again, there's still residual sugars in the ingredients like pumpkin, mm. coconut. They have small totally. amounts of natural sugars in them. Um, but you've got to be careful with that because – a lot of products that are by nature very or that, that are, yes, by nature very high sugar mm. can also be labelled as no added sugar. True. But they could be 60% sugars. <laughs> yeah. So you might, you know, you might find some protein bowls, for example, or, or bars that are made with dates, very high sugar. Exactly. 60% yeah. sugar. Mm. Um, but they're still allowed to label as no added sugar. So you do really need to re- check the labels. Yeah. yeah. Good points there. Um, you also mentioned expansion. Who are you targeting? What area? What countries? Continents? Um, there's a huge problem in China right now with mm. the growing middle class um, adopting Western diet, and there's something like 52 million diabetics. Wow. Um, yes, that's Jeez. right in China. So I think that's a huge market for us. We'd love to enter the US, um, possibly the UK. I'm getting some interest from Southeast Asia. So the markets are they're out there. <laughs> So, yeah, who knows where we'll be supplying in the next 12 months. Amazing. Yeah. So how can listeners get in touch with you online? Is there a, is there a particular, particular um, place? Me personally or brand? I mean, we're pretty active on social media. So if you find at Noshu Foods, N-O-S-H-U Foods with an S, on Facebook or Instagram, we're pretty active on there. So... If you send us a question, we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Awesome. Uh, one other question, actually, that just slipped my mind. This one I have to ask because I ask every guest. Um, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life, that person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? That is a deep question. Mm, that's that's <laughs> two for two now. So... Okay, no, this sounds really hippie of me, but Deepak Chopra and Paolo Coelho, two love authors. It. So <laughs> I love their books. Um, but there's one particular quote that I read in The Alchemist, which most of us have probably read. I was going to say, one of the first yeah. books that beautiful, I actually read Beautiful, beautiful book. But do you, do you remember that quote? <laughs> when you want something, the whole universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. What a beautiful quote. Mm. For me, I think that really struck a chord. And it, I don't know, it just conjures up this beautiful visualisation of the whole world and the universe just helping you achieve your goals, silently taking action without you seeing it, you know, and, and knowing that there is there is that energy there that is actually supporting you. And um, so that, yeah, that, that meant a lot to me when I read that. Um, and it, I found that very empowering, extremely empowering actually. And it, it, it's, it's true. And it really is true. But it's not just about wanting something. You can't will something into being. I don't think you can will something into being. <laughs> as much as you want something, you still have to take action. You still have to take risks. You still have to work hard. Um, but 
you know, a real, a real really believing in yourself and and believing that the world's not out to get you, but it is there to actually help you if you just let it, you know. That that really helps. It's helped me along my journey, that's for sure. I think that's a very uh wonderful way to wrap up. Rachel, <laughs> thank you so much uh again for your time. I had a blast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um your journey has no doubt paved the way for many aspiring entrepreneurs, designers, creative thinkers and doers, um, which is very much um, at the core of this show. So I wish you continued success and good health for you, your loved ones, your family and um, your team. And I look forward to seeing No Shoe grow in the years to come. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in, Giants. I hope you found this interview as useful as I did. Feel free to share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you feel it'd benefit them as well. Giantthinkers.com slash Noshu will take them right to it. That's N-O-S-H-U. And if you're feeling extra generous, I would very much appreciate a short iTunes review. It'd help get the show in front of more people who really need advice on their own journey as well. Head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. Now, a little teaser for the next episode. She is a European-based Perth-born artist, composer, singer, and producer, best known for her work in real-time music production. After her video interpretation of the track Hey Ya surpassed 2 million views using music technology to create and perform entirely orchestrated songs live and in real time. She recently delivered a moving TEDx talk on how to translate the feeling into sound and is also a freelance lecturer in creativity at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. She is full of soul and passion, so stay tuned for that one. I know you're going to love it. I'll leave you with a quote from today's interview with Rachel Bajada that's geared towards students, but one we can all appreciate. I absolutely loved when she said, it's admirable to work hard to get good grades, but it's okay to just pass. Don't kill yourself over it. There's so much to life after university. (laughs) 